Welcome everybody to church. So glad you are here today. Are we ready for a good day? Yeah, okay. All right. You guys have had extra sleep and more coffee, so we're ready. Awesome, awesome. I want to just say welcome to all those who are joining us online today, too. We're so glad you are here. And we are in this series on the book of Nehemiah, which is found in the Old Testament, which is in the first half of the Bible. And um, this is, when I say book, it's, it's not like, like a normal book, not the size of a normal book. It's only around 20 pages, depending on the size of the font in your Bible. Mine is like 50 pages because I have to have the giant font, okay? So um, we would love to have you join us in reading through this book together, the book of Nehemiah. And you can join us in this little reading plan that we have um, by hopping on our website, then you can click on it there, or on the City First Church app. Uh, the, the Literally, the like click on the app is right at the top, and every day you can hop on, and we've broken it down so that we can read through the book of Nehemiah together. And I give you permission, actually, in these next few moments to pull out your phone in church, okay, and download the City First Church app, okay, because on it is actually like you can follow along on the sermon notes. There's lots of different ways that you can stay connected to the church through that. Um, And I give you permission to do that now, but just don't get distracted by your emails right, in your text messages, and Instagram, okay, don't do it, um, but in this series that we are in, we are talking about how to lead well, how to lead well, how to lead ourselves well, how to lead our families, our businesses, and in our friendships, and last week, Jer talked about how we need to have passion in our lives in order to live well, and it was an incredible message, and he talked about how we can find how to have passion um, alongside the mission that God has given us. And if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do so. You can hop online and, and do that. And not only did he talk about passion and mission, but he debunked this myth that leadership is a position, that it's a position. Nothing could be farther from the truth, okay? Because leadership is as simple, listen to this, is as simple as seeing a need and then understanding that you, yes, you, can do something about it. It's that simple. That's what leadership is. And so if you are here thinking today, nobody's ever told me I'm a leader. Nobody's ever like, dubbed me a leader. Guess what? You are a leader. If you see anything in your world, it can be in your toddler. It can be in your student. It can be in your workplace, in your family, in your friendship. If you see something that needs help, guess what? You can do something about it. That means that you are a leader. And Nehemiah was an incredible leader. And we are looking at his story, the story of his life, to see what he did so that we can learn how to grow in our leadership. And so I want us to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to actually look at chapters 2 and 3 today, and we're going to walk through some of the story and observe some of the characteristics that Nehemiah possessed that we can learn from. And before we dive into that, first of all, if you, the, the, the scriptures are going to be up on the screen. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to put a Bible in your hand. If you're in the physical location, you can stop by one of the Next Step booths and we will put a Bible in your hand. If you're joining us online and you need a Bible, send us a message in the chat and we will, we'll get you one. Okay, and so, but I want to give you a little recap before we dive into the verses. And Nehemiah was a 
cupbearer, okay, a cupbearer to a powerful king. This is thousands of years ago, his story. When he took the time to actually get curious and ask questions about his homeland, where his ancestors had come from. And he ends up hearing that the capital city is in ruins and that the walls that would have represented strength and safety and success of his people, those are broken down. The walls are literally in shambles. There is literal rubble. And so this news of these broken down walls actually ends up really affecting Nehemiah. And he is deeply, deeply moved. And so we're going to um, read what happens because the king takes notice. Okay, remember the king is Nehemiah's boss. And he's the cupbearer for the king. And this is so affecting Nehemiah that the king takes notice. And this is what it says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this, in the month of Nisan, not the car brand, okay? This was the name of their month then. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now there is a line here that um, I highlighted and read, okay? And it said, I had not been sad in his presence before. You want to know what this means? Is that leadership takes emotional intelligence. Leadership takes Emotional intelligence. All right, so it says that he had not been sad in the king's presence before, so that's why the king actually noticed that Nehemiah was heavy in heart. Leadership intelligence, otherwise known as emotional quotient, which is EQ, okay, is the ability to manage both your own emotions and understand the emotions of people that are around you. Now, I want you to imagine with me in this story, okay? Imagine with me if Nehemiah, on multiple occasions, had like, like every other day, or maybe even once a month, walked into the presence of the king wearing his emotions on his shoulders, on his sleeves, on his shoulders, his sleeves. Wearing them on his sleeve, just like, you know, he walks in and he's like living in a glass case of emotion, okay? He's like, oh my gosh, my wife, she is driving me crazy. You should have seen the meal she prepared for me last night. All right, or maybe he's all like, King, oh my goodness, my kids, they're driving me crazy. Or maybe he's like, King, you will not believe what happened to me. This, this other donkey cut me off on the way into work today. I mean, what would have happened to Nehemiah if that's how he lived his life? First of all, most likely, he would not have had a job. He wouldn't have had the job he had. He would not have pl been placed in the place of influence where he had been because he would not have known how to manage his emotions in the presence of a king. But the bigger issue in regard to this story is that he would not have been taken seriously when he was carrying a burden that needed attention. He just wouldn't have been taken seriously. The king wouldn't have even noticed that he was sad because he's like, sad all the time. He's emotional all the time, but it so stood out to the king that he was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? See, we don't like to hear this kind of talk in this day and age. 
about managing our emotional life and how it matters. There seems to be this thought right now that if we aren't wearing our emotions on our sleeves, then we aren't being our true selves. Right? Have you heard that one before? (laughs) We are becoming a culture that emotes about everything. And I mean everything. Right? On Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, to our neighbors, to every, everyone. We emote about everything. You know, and we're becoming a culture that we do this, but if we can't, if we're not allowed to, guess what? We're, we're just being quenched. We actually feel now it's our right to rant. It's our right to rant about our husband. It's our right to rant about our wife. It's our right to rant about the situation, about the circumstances. It's our right. And now listen, I'm not advocating, it's got quiet, by the way. Everybody's really quiet right now. (laughs) I'm not advocating that we just stuff our emotions and walk around like robots, okay? But I am saying that emotional intelligence is necessary. If we want our faith and our purpose to be taken seriously, it's necessary. I'm sorry, Nehemiah would not have been taken seriously if he had not had emotional maturity. He wouldn't have. He would have been brushed off. And there's a very important element of EQ. There's lots of important elements of EQ, of emotional intelligence. Um, And one of the things that I want to just draw attention to is this idea of being self-aware, self-awareness. That's a huge part of emotional intelligence. And can I just be honest, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I need help with this. There are tons of books on emotional intelligence and how um, steps and while you can take to grow in your emotional maturity, I encourage you to help find those. If you need help finding those, call us. We'll help you find them. But self-awareness, you know, is this. It means that you recognize your own emotions and how they affect your thoughts and behavior. That's what self-awareness is. Some of us, we just walk around and we never think about actually how we're acting and what we're doing and how that's affecting things. And so some of the earmarks of self-awareness are this. Observe how you react to people. Some of you have never thought, how do I react to people? Like, what, what sets me off? Examine maybe how you react in stressful situations. Some of you, you just live stressed, but you're not going, what's actually, what, what's happening inside of me and outside of me that's, that's making me feel this way? Another mark of emotional awareness is this, is that you take responsibility for your actions. We live in a day and age where we don't want to do that anymore. We just blame everybody else for what's happening, and we don't take responsibility. Another thing we do is, you know, an earmark of this is examine how your actions will affect others before, everybody say before, before you actually take those actions. Examine, okay, with what I'm going to do, how is that going to affect everything around me? See, I can guarantee you that Nehemiah had bad days before this day. Guarantee it. But guess what? There was probably moments where he's like, I would love to say something to the king about this. Actually saw something that somebody did that I think he should know about. But there was something inside of him that said, hey, listen, guess what? Maybe this isn't the space. Because once I say this, guess what? 
it's going to cause this. So let me pause and say, this isn't the space. You know, what the world won't tell you is that it's actually a great place to learn self-awareness and EQ is the scriptures, the Bible. Because <laughs> it's incredible at helping us become more self-aware. You know, the Bible actually describes itself as a mirror, a mirror, which means it helps us to see who we really are. I can tell you this, you are really glad that I looked in the mirror this morning. Trust me, trust me, I did not wake up looking like this. Poor Jer, it's gotta wake up to me before I've looked and made myself aware every day, right? God's word helps us see the true state of our heart. The true state of our heart. And will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, help us work towards a desired outcome. See, when I looked in the mirror today, I was like, the out this is not good. I, need, I know what I want to look like before I get up in front of all of these people. It helped me get to a desired outcome. And the word of God is the same way. The word of God is the same way. So emotional intelligence is important. Nehemiah would not have gotten to the next part of our story if he had not had a level of emotional maturity. So reading on, okay, in verses 2 and 3. So the king points out Nehemiah's downcast appearance and what happens. 2 and 3 says this, I was very much afraid. Now listen, what we're reading here, like as we're going through this together, this is actually like you're reading a part of Nehemiah's journal, okay? And so it's, it's all first person. Like He's saying, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? This is what I know. Leadership takes bravery. Leadership is going to take bravery. It's going to take bravery. Nehemiah knew that the fear he had needed to bow to the passion and the vision God had given him. He knew it. He was like, it has to die. He did not allow the fear to dictate the direction of his vision. And see, we kind of buy into a lie. We're like, there's certain personalities, they're just never afraid. They're not afraid. You know, the people we look up to maybe in our faith, the, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a life group leader, or maybe it's somebody like a, who's a friend who just, man, you admire their faith. You just, maybe we buy into the lie sometimes that they're just not afraid. Right? Here, and here's the deal. I want you to think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who lived in the presence of greatness all the time. Lived in the presence of greatness. He met Fancy, schmancy, hoity-toity, important people, okay? So he was a confident guy. I can guarantee he didn't walk around like, oh, you know, no. He was a confident guy. He was a leader. And guess what? What did he write? I was afraid. I was afraid. I think this, the leaders and the people we look up to, oftentimes they live with great feelings of fear, great feelings of fear, of apprehension, of uncertainty, but they do not allow their lives to be dictated by those feelings. They just don't. They're like, listen, fear is a liar, and so I'm not going to listen to it. They step out in faith, putting fear in its place, putting fear in its place. The thing God has called them to do outweighs the fear that, that they have about doing it. 
What God has placed on their heart to do is too important. Listen, too important. Nehemiah knew, listen, what I've been, the thing that God has put in my heart, it's too important to let fear have the last word. It's way too important. And bringing this down to where we live, guess what? Parenting takes bravery. Somebody laughed. I heard a chuckle. No, literally. Parenting takes bravery. Setting boundaries on your teenager takes bravery. Amen. Just try and do it. You're going to get pushed back, okay? <laughs> Leading your family spiritually will take bravery. Running your business with integrity will take bravery. Stepping out of your comfort zone to talk to that neighbor takes bravery. Taking a stand for what is right takes bravery. Having the tough conversations takes bravery. And I don't want to depress us all here, but here's the deal. Until the day we pass on, life will consist of one brave choice after the other. Actually, you don't have to live that way, but your life will not have the purpose it was meant to. Just to be real honest with you. The things, the things that you see in your life, the, the walls that are broken down that need to be rebuilt, guess what? It's going to take bravery to build them up. It's going to take putting fear in its place to build them up, making that decision. Even I love how Jake, like jumping into a life group, do you think he was just like skipping and jumping, walking into the first life group? No, he was like, I hope these people like me. What if I say something stupid? What if they don't like me? Here's the deal. Anything, anything worth its weight in gold in life will take bravery. It's going to take bravery. And so my question is, is there an area where you have allowed fear to hold you back from doing what you know in your heart of hearts God has asked you to do? You know it. You know it. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he was brave. He was brave and he went before the king and he put his thoughts out there. He put his thoughts out there. And then it happens to go on to verses 4 and 5, and this is what happens. It says, the king said to me, what is it you want? I love this. So guess what? Because of his emotional maturity and his bravery, the, the door is opened for him. And then it says, then I prayed to God of heaven and answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I want you to see a little leadership nugget right here, and that is this, is that he said, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king. There's an order there. Nehemiah first prayed, then spoke. He first prayed, then he spoke. This is a simple, listen, yet profound thought. Acknowledge God before you step into what God is asking you to do. Acknowledge him. Before you sit down to have that conversation with your teenager, before you sit down to have that conversation, you know, with that, your boss or your coworker, before you, before you step into that, pause. Pause and pray. 
the deal, you guys. Do you know that you have access to God at any time? Any time. Before you have a conversation or you, about that situation or you step into that decision or that thing that, you, that is going to help you, you're trying to fix something. Before you do that, guess what? You don't have to drive here to the church and come in the sanctuary or, wow, that's an old word, auditorium. I've been here a long time, guys. You don't have to drive here and be like, okay, now i got to find my place to pray. No, right where you are at. Right before you step into that situation, that conversation, you have access to God. Nehemiah didn't leave and need to go to the tabernacle or wherever he prayed. Guess what he just said right there? He said, I prayed to God. I prayed to God. And then I answered the king. And then I answered the king. I love that little leadership nugget. That is for you and I. So Nehemiah boldly asked the king to leave his post, to leave his post, and then to go rebuild the walls. And after the king gives the thumbs up, okay, Nehemiah is on his way. He is on his way to go help rebuild the walls. And guess what he's doing? He is picking up his entire life, his entire life, to go to a place he has never been before to help rebuild walls that he did not tear down. I want you to get that. Nehemiah, he actually picks up everything to go to a place he had never been to help build walls he didn't tear down. Leadership will be inconvenient. Leadership will be (laughs) inconvenient. Question, church. How long has it been since the thing in your heart has actually inconvenienced you? The thing that God has called you to do, when, when did it last inconvenience you? God is going to ask you to go to places that sometimes you don't want to go. Some of you are like, oh, dear God, am I going to call to Africa, please? I don't want to go. Or go call something that's bigger and scarier than what you think. No, 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 God's just going to ask you to start with what's in front of you. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Some of you are like, I'm afraid God's going to ask me to do something too big. No, 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 he's asking you to take a step. Asking you to take a step. And sometimes he's going to ask you to go talk to people and maybe even help things that you didn't break. You're like, Jen, my family's a mess, but I didn't cause the problem. But God's asking me to step in. Guess what? It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be inconvenient. But God is calling you to do it. He is with you in it. He is with you in it. Can we be a mobilized group of Christ followers who are okay with being inconvenienced for his purpose? Inconvenienced for his purposes. It's what he's asking us to do. And so continuing on in verses 11 and 12, it says this, again, Nehemiah speaking, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out, during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So Nehemiah leaves in the middle of the night to go and start inspecting what is around him. He assesses the things that are broken down. He starts walking around the ruins. 
the, the rubble that's all around him. He's, he goes and he, you know, where the, it says in the scriptures there that the, the gates that where they used to enter into the city, they were burned down. So he's, he's noticing all this. He's assessing what is going on. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine what Nehemiah is feeling in this moment. Can you imagine? He gets down, he's by himself. He's walking amongst the rubble. I bet he felt a little overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed at the thing that God is asking you to do? It's a little bit too big. The thing that you know needs fixing. I think Nehemiah was heartbroken. I think he was like, look at this mess. I mean, where have things ever been so bad that you're like, where do you even begin? I think this is where Nehemiah is at. Where do, you even, where do we even begin? See, it's one thing to hear about the devastation when you're far away, but it's another thing to see it. And Nehemiah was seeing it. And so he goes, you know, through the rubble, and then it says this, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. So what is Nehemiah doing here? What's he doing here? He says there, right? He says right there. He's like, listen, I had told no one. Nobody knows about what God has put in my heart. The officials, all the people who are actually probably going to be helping do the work, they don't know anything yet. This is something that's just been brewing in Nehemiah's heart. He hasn't said anything. Why? Why? I mean, think about it. If, if, if God, I mean, he gets this like, passion and vision and mission from God to go rebuild the walls, don't you think he'd be like, yes, let's go, everybody. He's telling everybody, we're going to go rebuild the walls. We're going to go do this. We're going to fix it. We're going to make a difference. It's going to be awesome. Why say nothing, Nehemiah? Why not shout it from the rooftops? Here's the reason. is because leadership goes alone first. Leadership walks the rubble first. Leadership goes alone. See, I don't think here in this moment when Nehemiah was walking through the rubble, I don't think he was actually just seeing the rubble. I think he was, I think at first he was. I think, he, I think he's processing all this. But then I think this, I think he started to envision the walls being rebuilt. He started to see it. He was seeing where things were at and what things could be. It actually started to fuel him. He actually started to get a vision. And as a leader, you have to give yourself the time and space to see what can be. To see what can be. Oftentimes we skip this step. We have the passion and then we share it with the world. But Nehemiah gives us a beautiful example of what I call the discipline of gaining vision. The discipline of gaining vision, letting it marinate, letting it simmer, whether it be, listen, you guys, in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever, when you are trying to build something, to change something, to grow something, you have to see it first. You have to see it in your mind's eye. So what do you see for your family? What do you see? What do you envision? What do you, what's broken that needs to be rebuilt? 
What do you see? What do you see in your workplace? What do you want to see in your workplace? What do you want to see in your marriage, in your friendships, in your in your in the group that you hang out with, your community? Let's not skip this step. Let's take time. I want to challenge you this week to take 30 minutes. What is it that you know God has placed in your heart that needs attention? You guys, there is no small thing. Do you hear that? Maybe it's a situation that you're having with your toddler right now. Maybe it's just a simple conversation that you need to have with a friend. Guess what? Here's the deal. Sit down to actually think about it. To think about it and think, okay, what is the vision? What do I see? Because this is what I know too. When you are envisioning it, I believe this. God will help give you the steps to actually accomplish the vision that you want to. We'll see that in just a second because it's beautiful. It's one of Nehemiah's greatest, like, just leadership contributions, I feel. Because he'll give you a vision, but then you also start to go, this is how this can happen. This is how I should say this. This is how this should be. You know, it wasn't until after Nehemiah gained the vision that he could cast the vision. You get that? It wasn't until he saw it that he could say it that he could say it. It says in verse 17 and 18, then I said to them, this is the, the, these are the people now that are gonna be doing the work. These are the nobles. These are the people that have been like, where's Nehemiah, (laughs) right? He says, I said to them, you see. See, he saw, and then he said, you see. You see. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, Here he said in the vision, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. I love that part. That's leadership lesson two right there. He took time to give God the glory. They replied, let us start rebuilding. I love that. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Some of us in this room, it's time to start. Let's go. It's time to begin. It's time to begin. And in closing, that brilliant leadership lesson that I just talked about that I really do believe that Nehemiah gained in that moment when he was walking through the rubble, it's found in the entirety of chapter 3, okay? So like 23 verses are committed to this. And I will tell you, it's one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. And you're like, can you say that? Yes, I just did. You're like, Jen, how is one of the greatest leadership lessons in the Bible actually really boring? Because here's the deal. Sometimes it's the grind that isn't glamorous. It isn't, it's the grind. And this is how it worked. This is how Nehemiah set it out. It says the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Next to him. Everybody say those words. Next to him. Meshalam, son of Berkiah, the son of Meshezebel. I know, I'm talented. Um, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Next to him, are we seeing a patron here? (laughs) The repairs were made by the Levites under Raham, son of Bani. Nehemiah's brilliant leadership lesson here is this. He taught the people to own their zone. Own their zone. Zone. I love this. Each family built the wall. Each family built the wall. And then what were those words next to him? Somebody else was rebuilding their section of the wall. 
And then next to him, they were rebuilding their section of the wall. And next to him, there was this group rebuilding the section of the wall. What happens when we all own our zone? The walls get rebuilt. The walls get rebuilt. Oh my gosh, I know this. I get, I get it. It's so easy to get overwhelmed at the enormity of the problems, whether personally or in our world. I get it. But here we see Nehemiah, a beautiful example of how to rebuild. When we all own our zone, rebuilding the needs we see in front of us. In our zone of influence, guess what? There will be change. There will be change. God's not asking you to go and change the world. He's saying, what is in front of you? Your family, your workplace, your neighborhood. And here's the deal, okay? Building is not glamorous. And guess what? This little brick right here, it's not a wall, right? Some of us, we want instant. We want it now. We want the walls to be rebuilt now. But literally what it is, is it's just one brick at a time. It's one decision at a time. It's saying, yes, I want our family to have family dinners together. And so, by golly, we're going to do it. And even if my kids sit there in silence the entire time, we're going to do it. And then guess what? I feel like a fool. I feel like a fool. But guess what? We're going to do it again tomorrow night. And we're going to do it again. And then I'm even going to say, no screens at the table. And then we'll see how that goes. It won't be easy. Trust me. What is it? Just one, one decision. One text message. What is in front of you today? What can you do today? See, I think we forget the power of the brick by brick. We do. We forget the power of it. We can look and say, what can this do? But over time, all of our daily, listen, often brutal choices <laughs> will help bring the results. It will help bring the results. You know, rebuilding our zone is going to take... A lot. It'll take the things that we talked about today. And so I just want to give us a little, um, maybe like assessment here. How is your emotional maturity? Is that something that you're saying, Jen, that's probably keeping me from the rooms I should be in? What do we need to do? What do you need to do? Where can you start today? What can you do today? You can bite your tongue today. One day at a time. And then maybe it's saying, okay, Jen, I need to step out in bravery. I need to step out in, like, I've been afraid. I've been, I've been procrastinating because I am scared of what's going to happen, what's going to be said, the ramifications of it. But I know that the passion and the mission that God has placed in my heart is too important now. I can't sit on it. Where do you need to be inconvenienced? For the mission that God has placed in your heart. And now, let's own our zone right in front of you. What is in front of you today that you can do today to start help rebuilding the walls that you want to see built in your life that God is going, that's the area. Let's get to work. 
Let me pray. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Nehemiah. We are so grateful. God, as I read, there is so, it's so rich, God, with, with how to live our lives. Your, your word, Lord God, it isn't just a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's literally a beautiful story, God, that we can glean from and learn from, God. And we're so grateful that Nehemiah was an incredible leader, God. He was an amazing leader, but he knew first and foremost that it was you that was the one that placed him where he was at with what he had to do, what he could And so, God, we choose today to say we want to step into the things that you have for us, but we want you to go with us. So I pray for courage for my friends today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's people who are in this room or watching online, you're saying, Jen, I've tried rebuilding the walls on my life, in my life, and it's, it's, I haven't done a real great job. Or maybe you're simply like, Jen, yeah, I'm, I've, Yeah, even though I'm not walking with Jesus, God's given me a good life. But you know in your heart of hearts that God is calling you into a relationship with him. And you want to begin that today. No matter who you are, what age of stage of life you're in, if you say today you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, where you're at, if you want to just slip up your hand right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, there's hands everywhere. And I know that there's hands online. So today, for those who want to make that decision, we're all going to pray together so that way they know that they are not alone. Just a simple but powerful prayer that says, Jesus, be the leader and forgiver of my life. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, today I choose to make you the leader and the forgiver of my life. I want to follow you. I receive today your forgiveness your grace and your purpose help me build well in jesus name and everybody said amen let's give those who prayed that prayer a huge hand clap